Welcome to Belling History with the Good Time Girls, a hyperlocal podcast about the quirky history of Bellingham, Washington, and the fourth corner of the United States. Even though we like to keep things close to home, these stories are no less entertaining to the masses and those who find themselves, unfortunately, outside of the PNW. We are your hosts. I'm Colby. And I'm Ren, and we are co-owners of Belling History Tours, also known as the Good Time Girls. And if you want to know more about our tour business, visit our website at bellinghistory.com. Today's episode is Bellinghamsters v. Globsters. Belling Globsters. <laughs> belling Hamsters versus the Belling Globsters. I love it. Okay. It's a new opportunity for a mascot. <laughs> Move over. I don't know what it looks like. Hamster. Yeah, listeners. Ah, the hamster. Oh, I thought that's Dinger, right? Oh, Dinger, yeah. I don't know. He does have a name. He's a baseball. He's a baseball boy. We love him. Okay, so today we're going to talk about, if you didn't know what a globster is, you're going to find out in this episode, because today we're going to talk about sea monsters, whether they're creatures of legend, imagination, or what have you. The ocean is a huge, mysterious place, so much uncharted and unexplored, and this was especially true 150 years ago when Bellingham was young, and many of the creatures we take for granted today had never been seen. So, I mean, I can't imagine how terrifying it would be to see an octopus or a wolf eel or something without having ever laid eyes on one. So I would probably go into fits and hysterics and or be committed. <laughs> Being the frail Victorian woman <laughs> that I was. I know. I, I'm i kind of, I mean, the ocean is full of terrifying things, in my opinion. <sighs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, we've been diving in, pun intended, to a maritime history lately. So this kind of comes out of some of that research. And I don't know. Have you ever encountered anything large or terrifying while in the ocean or any body of water, Ren? Uh, How do you uh, feel? Uh, I love the water. Okay. I'm a cancer. I'm a water sign. Uh, <laughs> so I love the water, but I, yeah, it really terrifies me. I have like two life vests on. <laughs> yeah. Go out yeah. there and float around. Yeah. I've seen some jellyfish in the wild, like on the beaches of the San Juan mm-hmm. Islands, and they're fucking terrifying. Yeah. And I don't want to have any yeah. part of that. And then also go and like pat- fish fart in that lake. <laughs> I don't know if you knew. <laughs> <laughs> how about you i love the water and i like going out on boats but like i don't really want to like scuba dive or anything no. like that I that submersible thing terrifying Laugh. oh was like god. why are these people doing this <laughs> but yeah it was like so oh my god the ocean is harder to explore the deep ocean than outer space In outer space that's boggles my mind crazy yeah but oh when i was a kid we used to swim in lake whatcom and i remember there was a spot where we would go out on our like floating little air mattresses and stuff <laughs> and there was under down there you could see down it was like an old tree with the Ooh. branches sticking out oh yeah and but the way that all the branches had decomposed it just looked oh, like these weird spiky so creepy arms yeah. you know and we would look down and we called it the sea monster or something <laughs> you know because it was like we hated to creepy. accidentally float over the top of that and we'd be like oh god it's gonna get us <laughs> 
<laughs> okay. So, that about sums it up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's how I kind of feel. No, thank like, you. Sea monsters you come know. to be. <laughs> so we would not have done well in the 1900s Bellingham. We would have been, every little yeah. thing we found would have been like, yeah. oh, fuck. <laughs> I also, I've been, as a child, we went to Lake Okanagan up in mm. BC, Wicks, I have Canadian relatives up there, and there's Ogopogo, who we're going to talk about. Ooh, but he's a famous sea monster yes, of the region. cryptid up there. <laughs> and I remember they have, you I know, love it. it's like part of wow. their tourism. Why, why wouldn't it be? Yeah. It's the funnest name to say ever. <laughs> love it. We did not see the actual Ogopogo. Just the, Listeners. The culture of <laughs> Right in. Have you seen him? <laughs> yeah. Well, so let's do a little background about the history behind these sea monsters. According to Wikipedia, sea monsters are beings from folklore believed to dwell in the sea and often imagined to be of immense size. Marine monsters can take many forms, including sea dragons, serpents, or tentacled beasts. They can be slimy and scaly and are often pictured threatening ships or spouting jets of water. The definition of a monster is subjective. Further, some sea monsters may have been based on scientifically accepted creatures such as whales and types of giant colossal squid, which makes a lot of sense to me. Sea monster accounts are found in virtually all cultures that have contact with the sea. So more specifically, a sea serpent or sea dragon is a type of sea monster described in various mythologies, most notably Mesopotamia, Judeo-Christian, Greek, and Norse. Medieval European cartographers put dragons and supernatural creatures on maps to represent danger or weather patterns or unknown territory. So I find that really cool. I always loved that there's a little dragon at the bottom. or you know there'd be dragons. Yeah. (laughs) And it wasn't necessarily a monster. It was just like, be careful. We don't know what's over there. Yeah, yeah. It might be bad. I also found this from the Smithsonian Magazine that said that there was a long-held theory going back to at least the first century that every land animal has an equivalent in the ocean. There were thought to be sea dogs, sea lions, sea pigs. Some of these are now the names of real animals like sea lions or eared seals, sea pigs. Um, We're going to talk about sea wolves. Medieval imaginings were the literal hybrid of fish with a known land animal. So they would have drawn them as like literally a dog with like a fin. They're just like, okay, there's all these creatures on land so they just must have their brother i in just the love ocean. that that is some imagination <laughs> so and i i am kind of obsessed with the famous sea monster lore like here in the pacific northwest we have relatively new hockey team yeah the seattle kraken right. named for that famous scandinavian legendary sea monster release the dragon yeah who, i love to say that saying when my kids did the release the salmon the <laughs> and they would all name their fish i kept being like you gotta name it the kraken the kraken <laughs> so you can say release the kraken and they were like what mom okay mom <laughs> but yeah clash of the titans the 1981 version it looked like the creature from the black lagoon yeah. and then you got the really creepy one in 2010 that was way scarier tentacle arms crab body and anyway so that guy which trips me out because the seattle kraken teams has a mascot that's not a cool kraken it's buoy who's like a little troll guy he's he's, he's modeled after the Fremont troll. Oh, well, that's cute. We can forgive that, but like, what the fuck? <laughs> Why didn't you use like, like some cool weird, tentacles though. or some I know. shit? Okay. I know. And the Kraken reminds me a lot of Cthulhu. Yeah. Which I don't know why that Lovecraftian beast got weirdly popular in kind of recent decades. I feel like Cthulhu's kind of everywhere, but maybe it, it was is. that. Yeah, whole... well, there was that whole show on the whatever. Was there a show? There was. I, I don't, don't remember know. what the hell. I just remember I had a boyfriend in high school who played Call of Cthulhu, which is a role playing game. I have heard of that. Yeah. I've heard of Cthulhu and 
and I did not know it was Lovecraftian. And then, yeah, yeah there was some prestige show on HBO okay. or something that was Lovecraftian. Yes. And I even had to look up because I was like, is the guy from Pirates of the Caribbean? Oh, yeah. Davy Jones. That's what I was I like, think. is he Cthulhu? Or is he based on that or what? And people on the internet have very strong <laughs> opinions that no. Really? But, people on um, the internet have strong opinions. I tried to look that up. So then there's a monster, Loch Ness, who you might have heard, a Nessie, the Loch Ness monster. He's one of the most famous or she, sorry, or they. They are one of the most famous. Almost everyone has heard of Nessie, the Loch Ness Monster of Scotland, which is a lake monster, technically not a sea monster. Loch means lake. And I think <laughs> Nessie's been portrayed as resembling some kind of plesiosaurus with a big long neck, which is the dinosaur theory, but we'll come back to that. And we're going to come back to Nessie later as the Nessie phenomenon maybe triggered a wave of P&W serpent sightings in the 1930s. It's just Nessie caught on like wild wildfire. But let's talk about the Pacific Northwest. There were also sea monsters or f- fantastic creatures in indigenous lore, including here in the P&W. For millennia, indigenous people in the Pacific Northwest have recounted the existence of giant sea creatures and or serpent creatures. There are stories that include various kinds of fantastical creatures and sacred beings. In indigenous traditions, there is more of an acceptance of these sea monsters as a supernatural being that appears from the spirit world to impact some kind of cultural wisdom, which is in great contrast to European cultures who had come to try to view things through a lens of science, try to classify or capture evidence of such creatures as real versus this supernatural, quote unquote, imaginary But there are petroglyphs, ancient carvings depicting sea serpents in western Washington, Canada, and Alaska. Different Coast Salish tribes and cultures had different terms and lore, some with similarities, others more distinct. And one that comes up a lot, Sisiutul, can be found in many of the cultures of the indigenous peoples of the Pacific Northwest. In stories, art, dances, and songs, it is typically depicted as a double-headed serpent with fish qualities, sometimes with an additional central face of a supernatural being. It's closely associated with shamans because both are seen as mediators between the natural and supernatural worlds. I really like that symbolism with the double-headed serpent, that sort of like duality of mortality and life and because the ocean, the river, the waters sustain life and providing food and transportation, but also can bring death and destruction and storms and flooding and things like that. I did find some local Lummi lore about a being called, and I, I'm going to try my best, Sinetalqui, a being or serpent that lives deep in the waters. And it's usually lakes and streams and swamps, and it could take different forms, one being described as a two-headed serpent or two-headed lizard. And there is a story told by Julius Charles to an anthropologist named Wayne Suttles about that animal, which he said, they used to be around here, but they've become pretty scarce and the white people have never caught one and put it in a zoo. It had a big body in the middle and two heads, one at each side. It lived in swamps where it swam about, but it could turn into a couple of mallards and fly away. And then I also listened to a Lummi story told by Pauline Hilaire about a terrible beast that would rise out of a swamp and feed on hunters that came close. And then it was eventually defeated by a brave boy with the help of Thunderbird. So that's on YouTube and we can link to that. I love it's a that. Cool story. I love Pauline Hilaire. But there is also another interesting one, which is Hayatlik. 
from the Nootka or the Nuchalnuth people of the Canadian Pacific Northwest Coast. And that is a lightning serpent. And it's basically like Thunderbird's harpoon, which is actually like a snake. So it's really associated with whaling. There's also, I think it's kind of interesting, the sea wolf of the Tlingit and Haida, also called the Wasco or the Gonakadet which is a powerful swimming creature with the head of a wolf and the body of a sea creature. And that's a really interesting one too, but, and they think some of it might be based on because there are wolves that go fish in the ocean. So you'll see them swimming like the wolf head sticking up up in Alaska, I guess. And there is actually a bunch of different creatures known as sea wolves, eel-like fish and sea lions. And it's even a nickname for killer whales and things like that. Man, that's cool. So when explorers, colonizers, settlers start to show up in the area of course they brought their own sea monster and super serpent lore um (laughs) everyone who came here arrived on a ship so a lot of sailors and people who spent a lot of time on the seas so there were various monsters or serpent sightings that occurred and often there would be attempts to explain rationally the settlers colonizers had an appetite for stories of the supernatural even if many considered the creature a scientific anomaly or an optical illusion or a hoax everyone loves a good story after all and that's why of course <laughs> we're here and have jobs so as a little caveat before we dive into these stories <laughs> newspapers love these stories because people love to read them and you're going to love them hear them but just saying we're all familiar with clickbait these days but it's interesting to think about the sources of these stories and their motivations when there wasn't a gruesome murder or a dead man's finger to talk about <laughs> we still had to sell papers and what's an easier way to do that than than a good old sea monster tale So that said, stories are such an important part of human culture and history, and stories tell us things about our culture and history, including these sea monster ones. A very early sea serpent sighting was documented in 1791 from a crewman of a fur trading ship in Columbia. Sea serpent sightings were frequent during the Fraser River Gold Rush of the 1850s. And then over the years, there were many sightings in the Strait of Juan de Fuca between the Olympic Peninsula and Victoria, B.C. And some right here in Bellingham Bay and along Chuckanut. Yeah, let's get in close to home here in Bellingham. So one of the first sea monster sightings I could find in historical newspapers occurred in August of 1895 when a headline read, Big Snake in the Bay. Very effective (laughs) headline. That's what she said. That's what she said. Uh, So this sighting of a 50-foot sea monster occurred in Bellingham Bay by Len Stanger, short for Leonard, a customs agent whose job included patrolling the waters, looking for smugglers. So Stanger was out there on a small launch boat called the Trilby with Mr. and Mrs. Gourley, or... Mr. Gurley also worked for the Customs Department. Um, a little more background on Leonard or Leonard Urban Len Stanger, one of several brothers who all came to Wacom in the 1880s from Oregon. So his elder brother, John H. Stanger, we talk about on some of our tours, he bought shares in the colony mill on Whatcom Creek, and he is the one who had run that mill and whose house got 
exploded by dynamite. That's a fun story. (laughs) Um, Anyway, Louis, Lou Stinger was another brother who built and ran the Stinger Hotel on Holly Street. And then John Stinger built his bigger hotel on the other side of the street directly across where Structures Brewing is today. And Leonard was the, the baby of the family. Len, our serpent cider here. And anyway, at the time of the Sea Monster incident, like I said, he was working as a customs officer. So he's out there with his work friend, Mr. Gurley and his wife. And it seems they were just out for a pleasure cruise. It was about seven in the evening when they saw a, quote, monster of the deep, sometimes called a sea serpent in the waters of Bellingham Bay near the old Bellingham sawmill, midway between New Wacom and Fairhaven. So recall that in 1895, there was no town of Bellingham yet as we know it. There was Bellingham Bay, which got its name first. And then there was the original little town of Bellingham, north of Fairhaven, near where the Chrysalis Inn is today in Taylor Dock. So Fairhaven had absorbed that little town of original Bellingham, and then you had New Whatcom, the combined towns of Seahome and Whatcom. So the sighting occurred then, it was near Boulevard Park, Taylor Dock, mm. somewhere in that area where there had been a little old mill at that old town of Bellingham. Uh, yes, that local paper, The Blade, featured an article and the headline read, Big snake in the bay. (laughs) Collector Stinger sees a serpent 50 feet long near Bellingham Mill. And then they go on to say, As the launch was passing the old piles near the mill wharf, Mr. Stinger, who was sitting near the stern of the little steamer, suddenly noticed a huge, slimy, dark brown colored body twisting about in the water to the rear of the vessel. It resembled a huge snake, and its head was under the water within two or three feet from the wheel of the launch. The thick part of the body rose within six feet from the stern of the boat. The body was cylindrical, of a dark brown color, about 14 inches in diameter in the thickest part, and tapered to about two inches in diameter near the point of the tail. The end of the tail was represented by a cup-like knob light colored in the hollow and very much resembling the suckers on a devil fish's arm note that a devil fish is the common name of an octopus back in those days the monster was evidently about 50 feet long 30 feet of the body being visible above the surface of the water they also described it as having a scar or a white stripe across the thickest part of the body, as if it had been struck by an oar or a propeller, cutting a deep gash that had not quite healed over. And they also said, The snake followed the launch about 50 feet and then suddenly dove forward, going directly under the boat, its massive proportions writhing and splashing the water very startlingly. Mrs. Gorley said, We could all distinctly locate it for a considerable distance by the commotion it made visible on the surface of the water as it sped away. So Mrs. Gorley gave her account, and she apparently saw the creature first, followed by Lenstanger. Mr. Gorley was sitting behind the boiler and missed seeing it until it was splashing away. But Mrs. Gorley and Mr. Stanger gave very similar descriptions of the creature. Yes, and what's more, the papers reported that their descriptions tallied with one of 
Mr. Forsberg, who apparently was a guy that had seen a similar creature in the same area almost exactly a year previously. So apparently Forsberg, he was an athletic instructor at the YMCA. So apparently he was on shore when he saw a sea serpent about 50 feet long near the same spot. And he ran along the shore following it for about 200 feet. And then he booked it full speed on foot over to Holly Street to try to get someone to come back with him to see the sea monster. So I'm picturing this guy who's really into physical fitness, (laughs) just like jogging through town like sea monster. But undoubtedly he was feeling very vindicated by this latest sighting because no one had believed him prior and now these people had seen it and the kind of gist was that like all these respectable people have seen this creature like it must be real yeah these aren't just weird drunk however other papers in the region were pretty skeptical and downright snarky about it such as the morning olympian which said the new whatcom papers claim to have 17 persons who will testify that they have seen a sea serpent in bellingham bay Even this does not establish the existence of the serpent. It may only prove that all of the new Wacom, quote, stuff is of the same brand. Fuck those city slickers. (laughs) You're just jelly that you're not right on the bed. I like that they're just like, you guys are drinking something. So a year later, in June of 1896, down in Tacoma, newspapers were reporting on a sea serpent caught in the Hoods Canal by two fishermen. And it was being displayed in a large tank viewable by price of admission, which was 10 cents. The Daily Ledger reported, It is a formidable-looking monster, seven feet two inches long. It has the body of a snake, the head of a dog, and the fangs of a tiger. The body of the sea serpent is spotted and ribbed like that of a rattlesnake, while its movements are serpentine in character. It is about as thick as a man's thigh at the neck, gradually tapering to a point at the tail. The under jaw is wrinkled and heavy, and from the general build of the monster, it must be capable of exerting tremendous strength in its native element. They reported that the fishermen named McLean and Kennedy were fishing for black bass when the monster was caught. The sea serpent was exhibited at Seattle and visited by thousands. According to various news accounts, while there, it was taken every night to a trap box in the bay and kept alive in that manner, quote unquote. So the fishermen sold the critter to an actor, like you do, (laughs) Gilbert Gerard, who was on his way east and said he intended to give the monster to the Smithsonian Institution. So to be clear, let's see, Gilbert Gerard here is not the actor who played Buck Rogers. I tried to look him up and I was like, oh, that's not the right one. (laughs) I wish it was. Yeah. Um, No, we think he was just some vaudevillian. He's just some random, rando guy. A year later, there was an update on the Hood Canal monster and it was reported that it was a tiger eel. (laughs) That was the worst. Drum roll, drum roll, please. <laughs> I thought it was lasers. <laughs> so it was an eel after all. It sounded like it, right? Uh, yeah, it was, it was giving eel, definitely. But, you know, we're people of the modern times. <laughs> but I mean, probably about it was that many people freaky. saw... Uh, look up a tiger. The eel. Eels no, are terrifying. They're really creepy. I've seen it. But okay. that guy sounded very large. Yeah. And I yeah. would have been scared. You saw that coming too. towards you in the water on your fishing line? And they caught whatever. it. They were probably still. So, meanwhile, in 1898, the Tacoma Daily News reported two big sea serpents seen in the sound by Alan C. Mason and others. So, though, this one, again, happened down in Tacoma. It has a Bellingham connection because I was like, Alan C. Mason. 
wait a minute. So he was like a big industrialist guy, lived in Tacoma in a big mansion, but he financed the Mason Building in Fairhaven, which is known to us today as Sycamore Square. I believe his picture is up in there. Haunted. No, haunted. Hot spot. <laughs> but so anyway, he and some friends are having a party at their mansion overlooking Commencement Bay in Tacoma when they spotted what they believed were two sea serpents. And I love this comment at the beginning of the article that harkens back to the eel story we just heard. The perennial sea serpent story has been late in appearing this year. It is usually published in May or June. In fact, the latest sea serpent of Puget Sound origin was the one furnished two years ago by Hood's Canal fishermen in the form of a tiger eel. So the article describes how Alan Mason and his family and friends were gathered out on the deck of the property overlooking Commencement Bay to watch the sunset, and they noticed a commotion in the bay. They said they saw two great snake-like objects that were seen quite plainly basking and playing in the fading rays of the sun. They were green in color and appeared to be 150 feet in length. They remained in sight for 20 minutes, occasionally disappearing for a moment, but quickly reappearing and making spiral and circular movements through the water. So apparently a neighbor had got his field glasses. I love that, his mm-hmm. binoculars. And everyone took turns looking, and all were positive they were watching two great Puget Sound sea serpents. That's pretty rad. Those are rich folk. Uh, yeah. I mean, respectable Respectable. <laughs> they wouldn't lie to us. <laughs> they weren't drinking any of that stuff. The- speaking, speaking of eels, we keep on the eel train here. In August of 1902, another eel-sounding critter was caught in Tacoma near Lemons Beach by Dan Lillis. Quote, it looked to be 20 feet long as it came wriggling its red and black snake-like body through the kelp. Its great jaws were wide open, its lips drawn back, exposing its wicked-looking teeth, and I could see the eyes shining with an angry gleam. Honestly, it gave me the shivers. The beast, or varmint, or whatever it could be called, suddenly made a snap, and at the same time, I gave the line a jerk and hooked the brute. So Lillis managed to land the beast with the help of his wife. Note that later his eel was described as being measured about eight feet and not 20. But Lillis said, quote, I don't know what it is. I have fished in the sound for years and never saw anything like it before. Some people call it a sea wolf and claim it lives on crabs, oysters, and other shellfish. Mr. Lillis brought the monster into town and gave it to a friend who kept it in the back end of Kimball's gun store. So now we have another big eel on display here. And I like just a quick comment on how the previous description was them basking and playing and having a lovely time. And this one is like terrifying and bearing its scary teeth. And he calls it a varmint, a brute. I the guess. eels are pretty creepy. I mean, they are creepy. I guess if you see them from a distance, they might yeah. look a little friendlier, but it makes me Sad. I know. And we don't really know what they were seeing out in the bay. Could have just been orcas or... Yeah, it could have been any. Who knows what kind Seals. of... Seals. You know, field glasses they <laughs> right. really had. How good they were. <laughs> um, but there's this, this tendency to call large sea creatures monsters. That's not popular. Yes. Thing. We're going to hear this. Yeah. A lot. So... Back in Bellingham in December of 1903, when a big devil fish was in the news when it got caught in a dredge. So, as we mentioned, a devil fish is an octopus, which I think are very cool creatures. Very intelligent and unlike anything on Earth, right? Yeah. So, this one upsets me a little bit. Uh, Well, they are really fucking creepy looking. Yeah. You can imagine. They're like little alien guys, but... uh. So, the... 
article says, fearful marine monsters said to be quite plentiful in Bellingham Bay between the city and the islands. Many stories told. And the next headline below that says, chopping machine tears an octopus to fragments, tentacles 15 feet long. So they say a large devilfish got tangled in the Whatcom Creek waterway a few days ago. The powerful chopping machine that operates under the water in front of the dredge dissected the big octopus instanter, and pieces of the body were carried through the flume and deposited in the bulkhead at the Whatcom Falls Company's mill. Workmen who saw portions of the devilfish say that it was certainly one of the largest type of its kind ever seen in the bay. It is estimated that the tentacles were about 15 feet in length. Okay, so I'm just picturing these guys working in the lumber mill when somehow there's some dredge thing happening that sucks this octopus in and slices it up and then there's like hunks of it just shooting shooting out out into the mill and they're like putting it back together being like what the hell yeah right like puzzling it back together so they go on to describe other devilfish encounters of large devilfish and they say about two years ago a couple of indians were paddling their canoe from lummy island to the city when their canoe ran amok a fair-sized octopus the big fish threw its long arms around the canoe as soon as it struck him and a battle royal ensued the indians cut off the tentacles as soon as thrown over the canoe and succeeded in putting the big fish out of business they reported that the arms of the devilfish were about 20 feet in length Okay, 20 feet is like stack two basketball hoops on top of each other. So that's the tentacles. <laughs> like I said, I really like the octopus. From a distance, in I a tank. Not want or like over there. foot tentacled octopus getting on my boat. No, nope. thank you. Not a canoe, especially. <laughs> no, thanks. That is insane. But imagine how old those guys were. Ancient yeah, I know. Like Grandpa Octo. All right. And then also, there's another octopus story. They tell the story about how. Fear of octopuses or octopi, octopusy, <laughs> octopusi. <laughs> What's the plural? Um, they put a damper on bathing mania of the 1890s. If you guys have listened to our podcast about bathing culture. Yes. But about 10 years ago, there was a mania for bathing in the pure salt waters of the bay. The trysting place for bathers was off G Street at the end of J Street. Men, women, boys, girls of all sizes and ages would participate in aquatic exercises. I love that this is a passing fad to play in the fucking ocean. There were several hundred people on the beach on afternoons when the sun shone warm. It was circulated to the effect that a devil fish had thrown its arm around a young lady while she was swimming in deep water. Devil fish stories were rife and bathers grew scarce and finally the sport ended completely. Even the chivalrous and brave men feared an encounter with these slimy creatures of the deep. Finally, the swimming mania came to an end. Oh, all because of the devil fish in the ocean. I did it though. All it took was a paper mill to cure us of that problem. (laughs) Just industrialize the whole waterfront. Take care of that. Kill them all off. (laughs) Kill off all the octopi and also all the bathing. (laughs) Great. Okay. So this next story is about another marine animal also referenced as a, quote, monster. This is a weird one. And there were daily updates on this story in the Herald. And I first just had like a couple of them that I'd found and taken out of context. They're all very confusing. And even after I put them all together... It's still confusing. Mm-hmm. So yeah. this is a bit of a whale tale. A whopper, <laughs> if you will. 
So in June of 1904, a, quote, monster whale was reportedly dead in Chuckanut Bay. Okay. So this whale said to weigh nearly 300 tons, supposedly lying at the bottom of Chuckanut Bay in about 10 fathoms of water. So it's reported that Captain Gus Lichtenfels... I think that's how you say it. it, Owner and captain of the Geraldine. And he said he had encountered this whale on his way back from Anacortes. He said he saw a commotion in the water and then a stream of water squirting 50 or 60 feet in the air. He also said that for no reason given, but that he got his 32 caliber rifle out and shot the whale. Numerous times. Like you do. Of course. So according to his story, that made the whale mad and it charged at the boat and he headed for shallower waters where he thought the whale couldn't go. And he got away, but he went back the next day because he's like, I know I shot that whale. And he said he found the carcass lying in the bay. Uh, And that it was too heavy to lift out. So his plan was that he was going to wait. And he said in nine days, from his experience, it took nine days, that whale would float to the surface. He's an expert. So this is what he says. Whale decay. So they report all this in the paper. He also says it's a humpback whale. And he estimated it to be 120 feet long with the tail spanning 16 feet from tip to tip. It's a big whale. So obviously this is not its usual territory. And there was a lot of speculation about why this whale would have been there. And they were like, maybe it followed a school of smelt or maybe it was sick and ready to die and was like beaching itself or something. Anyway, the captain apparently thought he could make some money off the valuable oil from the whale, which he also said was worth 45 cents a gallon. He said, as soon as the body rises to the surface, I shall tow it to some convenient place on the beach in Bellingham and give all citizens of the city an opportunity to see the monster. So then in the following days, there's like daily reports on this whale, which is expected to rise nine days later. And they're all talking about where it's going to be. Okay. Yeah. So let's get into it. The (laughs) anticipation is killing us. So on Wednesday. Paper reported, whale to be put on exhibition. Monster reported to be in the Chuckanut Bay to be shown after oil has been extracted from the carcass. Captain Gus Lichtenfels is still anxiously awaiting for the whale, which he says is lying at the bottom of Chuckanut Bay, to rise to the surface. He makes two trips a day to that locality to see if nature has done its work in causing the monstrous body to float to the surface. He says people can josh as much as they please, but he who laughs last laughs best. So this seems to indicate that people perhaps didn't believe uh, Mr. Lichtenfels um, about the whale story. However, this was still something exciting, you know, so the people were going out to Chuckanut to try to get a glimpse of the whale and the paper was pleased to write about it, I'm sure, to sell their papers. Though at the time, there was a cannery out there, not far from where the whale was said to be located, and the paper reported that, quote, probably no one is getting more amusement out of the affair than Watchman Little at the cannery. Pilgrims going down by boat, walking, driving, and riding bicycles keep him busy responding to questions about the sea monster. So frequent have these questions become that he finds the easiest way to pacify them is by some pleasantry such as that it has gone around the corner, that it will be back soon, and that he has just fed it, and many similar rejoinders <laughs> love him. On Thursday the 9th, it was reported, Captain Gus Lichtenfels left last night for Seattle to hire a diver to come to Chuckanut Bay to investigate the condition of the whale which he avers is lying at the bottom of the bay. Well, on Friday... <laughs> 
the whale had not risen. Shit. And they said, quote, The latest reports from Chuckanet are that the whale has not yet risen, floated, come to the surface, or made its appearance, shown signs of life or resurrection, <laughs> or caused any stir whatever beyond that which is going on in the minds of its discoverers and of many unsuccessful pilgrims to gain a glimpse of him before he is stuffed and put on exhibition. So there was a lot of talk about whether this whale was going to be put on exhibition, where it should happen, etc. They go on to propose, jokingly, that the whale carcass should be hauled to Lake Whatcom during the Grand Army encampment there and launched into the fresh waters of the lake with some real crazy talk of running gas tubes from the shore to give gushing flames from the (laughs) blowholes, which would give, quote, Illumination to the foothills like has never been seen. Is this a kiss concert? <laughs> Are we going to see war? <laughs> what so, am I reading? Flames shooting from the blowhole. So that was one of the articles that I just had like out of context and I was like, what the hell is happening? Murka. So on Saturday, guess what? The paper reported whale still at the bottom of the bay, that no diver had arrived, and the paper was speculating whether the whale could be canned at the Chuckanut Cannery. Okay, so on Monday the 13th, an article titled, Declares that whale will rise tomorrow, read, The whale remains tranquil. He is still submerged or has been towed out by some mysterious undercurrent. The whale is still at the bottom of Chuckanut Bay, so says Captain Lechtenfels. He says he is due to float tomorrow. Uh (laughs) 50,000 persons in the Northwest want to see it. Undertaker, oh, Malsby, A.R. Malsby, we love him, says that he would be the most surprised man in town if a whale should come to the top, and possibly the most excited man. Malsby says he is from Missouri, and the whale will have to be up in plain sight before he will fully appreciate the value of one-third interest presented to him by Captain Lichtenfels. Malsby's no fucking fool. I like that he's also like, I'm from Missouri, we don't got whales. Yeah, we don't have whales there, I'll believe it when I fucking see it. And I like that the guy's trying to sell him interest. Yeah, Lichtenfels is really on a mission here. The purposes to which the whale will be put are multiplying. The exhibition promoter and the fish cannery men are not to be left alone in their covetous designs. George W. Logie of the Whatcom Falls Mills Company is arranging to cut the whale into slabs on the bandsaws. I love that his name is Logie and he works at <laughs> the fucking Whatcom Falls Mill. Yeah. That's Helen Logie's dad. Yes. We don't call him Logie. No. That's funnier. I know. I know. I'm going to start <laughs> calling him that. Mr. Loggy has concluded that it will be much more economical to saw whales than timber, owing to the automatic lubrication for the machinery flowing from the oil. Pretty sure that this is all the Herald Beast snarky, and I fucking live for it. Um, and every day that passed, it just got snarkier and snarkier. <laughs> The whale had still not risen on Tuesday. Go figure. When the paper reported, the whale is resting. Captain Lichtenfels is understood to have made a miscalculation in his date for the floating creature. Now it is due on Thursday. What Thursday is not specified. (laughs) And then on Wednesday, they report, it is rumored today that the whale has flattened out. Having been dormant in one position for so long, the great bulk is said to be merging into the bottom of Chuckanut Bay. The ebb and flow of the tides promise to leave not even a blubber spot. (laughs) Okay, it only gets better. So a week later, on Tuesday, June 21st, an article appeared titled, Jeers at the Whale, Unbeliever Pins Note on Tree on Chuckanut's Shores. 
I'm just going to read this verbatim because it's a whole thing. Some wag who evidently got sour because of the fact that he walked down to Chuckanut Bay to see a big whale and found it not, pinned a note to a tree near shore, which reads, Here in this secluded spot lies a whale, a myth or a mastodon. Class, mammal, species, rara, avis. It is as dead as a cremated toad, and no more forever will it sport on the water main, or eat polyp for breakfast, or dine on smelt or herring in Chuckanut Bay. The crabs and sea urchins are playing peekaboo around its massive body, which by chemical process has petrified, aye, turned into stone as heavy as lead. In its submarine grove, it will lie till the sea runs dry, and in ages hence men will marvel at the sight of the lifeless form of a large body once famous in story as the Chuckanut Whale. Jesus Christ. Okay. (laughs) Perchance some periwig-pated men of science... A thousand years hence, may write a book and in a mad desire to prove ancient history, lay claim to having discovered the very whale that swallowed Jonah. Oh, methinks the world is a bundle of mysteries in spherical form. If the whale, dead as it seems to be, could be balamized and talk, actually speak, what a tale it could tell about the rope around its tail. (laughs) Let the nymphs keep the secret if they will. (laughs) Let the tides ebb and flow. Let men come and go to see the whale. But cursed be he who says to me, Hey there, Jonah, didst see the whale? Mine eyes would burn in fury at hinter sound of this, mine foolish errand. Good God, man. And then it says, sleep on, old whale, sleep on, and dare not move thy bed, lest some old ancient mariner should shoot you in the head. <laughs> Jonah! Signed, Jonah too. Oh, yes, Jonah. Do you think Jonah was doing mushrooms? <laughs> I think somebody at the Herald was, for sure. <laughs> Do you think the Herald made this up? Yes, 100%. You think they did? Yeah. And he posted it on the I do, yes. Okay. That's my theory. I'm I mean, like, think of the Herald writers. Yeah. It, the language. Yeah. That's them. Yep. I mean, they were probably, I mean, just just drinking their whiskey and laughing their asses off about this for weeks. Yeah. And I can't Clearly. really blame them. This right? is fun workplace drama. Okay, yes. Yeah, so I get to read a fun poem. Yes. Another Another several days went by with no word on the freaking whale. But some poet named A.W. Parsons was inspired. And on June 26th, this lovely verse was published entitled The Big Fish. Oh my gosh. Okay. (laughs) The Big Fish. We have heard a story, and it's true, they say, about a monster whale out in Chuckanut Bay. 120 feet to an inch, and will make it much more if it comes to a pinch. A ship came sailing over the sound, and when near Chuckanut, there they found a monster whale, just spouting for fun, and the captain quickly brought out his gun. (laughs) And when his ship had got quite near, he shot the leviathan under the ear. Now the face of the captain grew deathly pale when he saw the flop of that mighty tail. As it churned into foam and beat into spray the placid waters of Chuckanut Bay. And he says to the mate, there is something wrong. And he turns to the whale and he says, so long. Then away they sailed to water's shoal while the whale makes mighty billows roll. Then the whale goes down as any whale may in the deep dark waters of Chuckanut Bay. He's a nine days wonder and probably more. And then he'll come up to be towed to shore. They will take him over to Whatcom Lake and charge us a nickel for the railroad's sake. 
Now, Mr. Editor, please give us the date when the whale comes up so we won't be late. For I greatly fear I shall die a fool if I don't see the whale from the chucking up pool. A.W. Parsons. Beautiful. It's pretty good. Hell yes. I think we should make a song out of it. (laughs) I think we need to like, yeah, we should probably incorporate that into some tea shanties. Oh my God. Okay. So after all this. There are still, for a while, occasional random mentions joking about the chuckanut whale, but the story kind of peters out. Yeah. No whale. And we just gave up. Okay. Okay. I'm like, what the hell? What the hell's going on? Like, was there never a whale? Do we assume at this point? Then in August of 1904, the Chuckanut Whale Man, as he was called, was in the news again, and the Herald couldn't help but get whale jokes in. The Chuckanut Whale Man is in trouble. For some days past, he has been held in the county jail. It is not known how he spent his time there, but probably dreaming of more whales to conquer. This afternoon, he's being given a hearing on the charge, not of telling the whale story, but of obtaining property under false pretenses. Nor is the property in question the whale. The complaint nowhere mentions hundreds of tons. It mentions just 50 pounds. 50 pounds of coffee alleged to have been purchased and not paid for. 50 pounds is no more than the weight of a fair-sized house. Jesus. So 10 days later, they reported that some guys went to get this whale captain guy's boat, the Geraldine K, the one he supposedly shot the whale from. And they reported that it was badly dismantled with all the bell and everything stripped off and that there was just a woman who had been living on the boat for apparently quite some time. So I'm not sure what this means. It really kind of is the end of the line for the whale man. And I really tried to find out more about Captain Gus Lichten whatever. (laughs) And I found one man listed under that very distinctive name. The only thing I could find was in the 1930 census. There's a man by that name in an insane asylum in Idaho. So maybe Captain Gus was a little kooky dooky. Yeah. Um, I don't know. And so we we don't know. We don't th- there apparently was no whale after all oh, yeah. in Chuckanut Bay, but I did find that there was one in the 1980s, a real whale. Yeah. It was a mink whale. Mm. And it was an issue as whales are protected animals and people were worried it was going to rot and smell bad <laughs> and all that. So, but no one could agree who was authorized to do anything about it because of the protected status. And then all of a sudden, it was just gone. Hmm. So we have the mysterious vanishing whales of Chuckanut Bay. But they said an anonymous woman claimed responsibility and was just said, the whale is no longer with us or something like that. So that's weird. People figured if they tried to like weigh it down or put it out to sea, it would just wash up again. Yeah. I don't know, but it didn't as far as I know. Right. As far as I could find. That's going to sink or flow. That's crazy. Okay. So, so do you think some kooky lady took it or do you think like the powers that be were just like, okay, just get rid of it so we don't have to fucking deal with no. the issue. Yeah. It's a, somebody well, made well, it go away. Well, or people like, make a living doing that, I guess. Well, the disappearers. All right, well, here's another whale of a tale, which made the news in September of 1905 when a huge whale was said to be headed to Bellingham when the, quote, monster is sighted off Point Roberts. A 100-foot whale had been sighted by the crew of the E.L. Dwyer. 
quote, although they were a long distance away, they say that the Leviathan spouted water high in the air, making the gulf roll with its tail. It is probable that within a few days, the monster will arrive in this port on his travels through the sound, it is said. I love that they just assume, like, he's stopping at every port. <laughs> like, as far as we know, that whale never showed up and probably a good thing. Gotta be shot in the head, but <laughs> missed opportunity here for the paper to resurrect the chucking out whale jokes. So I think we have so many stories about sea monsters. We may cut this into a two-parter because we've been regaling you all for a while now. Yeah. And we've got lots more stories. We're going to wrap it up with that. But what do we want to say about our stories today? I don't know. Our whale what tales. You What's your takeaway from these, just these little guys? These well. These stories. You know, like, who are the monsters here? Really? Uh, yeah. Is my takeaway from, from this. Mm -hmm. Because these poor whale, even if it didn't exist, getting shot in the head. Devilfish getting chopped up and... I just, I don't know. I mean, I get that they're big creatures and it's potentially scary, especially when you're out on a boat, but... I, I think you're right. And I think that that is not only true of these 1890s times, but then science comes into play and then you right. get more monstrous like, yes. towards them, right? Yes, like, exactly. Taking them for science and, and putting them eels. in and, I know, it's like... Yeah. I mean, no. they're just frolicking and basking in the goddamn sunlight. <laughs> and Leave them alone. Put them in like a jar and yeah, display them. All right. Well, I my takeaway is that I would not have survived a day. <laughs> Fuck all of that. I know. <laughs> no. We actually haven't even gotten to globsters. Do no, we? we haven't even gotten through it all yet. Do we need I another name a, a for this? A frail little one. Yeah, we didn't get to the globsters, you guys. That was like a... We tricked you, but the globsters are coming. I think we'll just do a part two. Okay. Do we need another name for it? No, we're not going back. You guys just have to keep <laughs> listening. This is how we get you. Okay. This is how we reel you in. But I'll... Uh, <laughs> And then any other news? Um, we got? We got Sunday matinees, which I was slow to get on the calendar this year, but we've got like a Dirty Dance. His death anniversary falls in oh, August. Yeah. So we're going to celebrate him and his demise. Yeah, we're going to pour <laughs> one out for our homie. Um, on Sunday, August 20th, that's coming up. And some more queer history tours on the calendar for those of you who missed those. And Columbia Neighborhood tour. Everybody always oh, loves that one. Right. So so, of course, we've got Goran Lore ongoing. We'll be doubling down on that in October. October. Get your tickets because they do sell out. Even yep. if we double down, they're yes. every year. And cemetery tours and Sin and Gin ongoing through the end of September. Last chance for some Sin. The OG. Gin. The OG. And maybe we might have a maritime themed tour. Yeah. Um, we may have some events coming up. More sea, sea shanties. Some trivia. We've got some things in up our sleeves coming, yeah. coming in the pipeline. Well, hey there, mama, where'd you go? You gotta reap just what you sow. That's too bad, too bad. To that old time, the old man hates without bad weather. Put on the sides, they were sewn together. That's too bad, too listen to that old time music. Okay, so um, we should wrap it up by just saying we're the good time girls you can follow us on all of the social medias find us on all of your pod catchers check out our tours and events read our show notes and blog at bellinghistory.com
much for our theme song to Devin Champlin. And you can find all of his stuff on the Bandcamp, or you can follow him and find him at Champlin Guitars in downtown Bellingham. Lost my hat, lost my brim, looking like a coast that's swinging from a limb. That's too bad, too bad. Well, I got no bugging, I got no smokes. I look like Grandpa and all of his folks. That's too bad to listen to that old time music. And we're going to see you on the next step. And tune in next time okay. Love you. for more Belling History. Good night, Bellingham. Thank you. Thanks.